Good morning. It's uh, good to be worshiping with you all. And uh, I want to acknowledge uh, a couple of people who are with us today, uh, Katya and Amy. Where are you guys? I, I just saw you. Katya. Oh, over here. Can you guys stand up? Katya and Amy just got back from Uganda yesterday. They were there for five weeks. Let's uh, give them a, a round of applause. Uh, Our church, if you'll remember, uh, a few months ago, we prayed for them. We heard their stories and and what God was calling them to do. And uh, this fall, when all the students come back to school, they will uh, be sharing with us all of the things that God uh, not only did through them, but more, I think, importantly, what God did in them, in their hearts and in their lives. And uh, they were in Uganda for five weeks. And, you know, I can't uh, wait to hear more about those experiences. And so if you get a chance today, they're only going to be here today. I think they're both uh, going home for the summer, so uh, chat with them after service, pull them if you want to hear a little bit more, and, and just uh, let's praise God for the work that he's doing through people here at Cornerstone. Um, if you were here, and Dan just mentioned it, uh, if you were here over the last couple of weeks, uh, I announced that my family and I will be moving out to the San Francisco Bay Area at the end of the summer. And so uh, this is going to be my last month here at Cornerstone. Um, And as excited as I am about where I feel God has called us and and sort of the new uh, opportunities and the open doors that he's put in front of our lives, I have to say with with all honesty that I'm just as excited about what's in store for Cornerstone Church. Uh, The leadership team and I have been working together diligently to assemble a pastoral search committee uh, that will be working over the next year to discern who God might be calling to be the next lead pastor of Cornerstone Church. And we've been uh, praying, we've been uh, very intentional about the way we want this process to go because we want to really listen to God's voice and see how he's going to uh, continue to bless and resource this church with uh, not only uh, wonderful people like you, but uh, people who are called to ministry to serve and to lead and uh, to be the directional leaders of this church. I'm also really excited for uh, our staff uh, Dan, Hojin, and Danny, and uh, we've been, I've been working with them in terms of creating an interim plan, and uh, a lot of the responsibilities that I've had over the last several years, I am uh, delegating to them, and uh, I've been looking at sort of the, the preaching calendar that they've been developing, and they have it all the way up through Easter, and uh, they're going to be rotating, and we'll probably have a few guest speakers here and there, uh, but really excited about the way that God is going to use them to continue to bless you and to serve you, and uh, they will be available to, to pastor you and counsel you and, and pray for you and, and really come, along your, uh, come alongside of you over this next coming year. And so I want uh, you to be praying for them as well as they uh, step up and step in to this new role of helping to lead and guide our church in this season of transition. And I have uh, full, utmost confidence in their abilities, their calling, and uh, just uh, their heart for this church. So I just wanted to update on a couple of those things. I hope you'll all be able to come out this afternoon to our picnic. I know it'll be a little warm. Uh, I just got back from a camping trip with my family, and we were out in 90-degree weather out in the middle of the sun, and it's not impossible. It is tough and challenging, but it brings people together, uh, and we'll have plenty of water and fluids and shade and all that. So uh, please, if you, even if you weren't planning on it, please consider coming out after church today. Uh, Join us over at Moakley Park. Uh, Catch a ride over at the welcome table if you need one. And uh, let's make the most of this beautiful day that we have together. Uh, I'd like to turn to uh, 1 John now. This is a series that uh, we've been working on over the last several weeks, and it'll take us through the whole summer. And uh, last week, uh, Danny was sharing about what it meant to have fellowship with God and to live in the light of that fellowship. 
And I'm going to piggyback off that a little bit today and uh, sort of overlap a few things that he said, but kind of take us into the next part of John, 1 John chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, and we're going to read uh, up into verse 14. And this is uh, the Word of God. John writes to the church, We know that we have come to know Him, that is God, if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys His word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of God. Can I lead us in a word of prayer real quick? Father, as we um, open our hearts and our lives uh, to your word, uh, may the truth of your word, may the light of your love shine brightly and cast out any and all darkness that's within. Lord, may we have fellowship with you. May we have fellowship with one another. And Lord, may your word bless our souls. Father, we turn to you because we need you more than ever, whether we realize that or not. And so, Lord, now would you quicken us to draw near to you so that you will draw near to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in our sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen. Amen. Uh, This uh, series of books or letters, as some people call them, that are written by John, uh, are very simple and plain and clear. There, there is no mystery behind what John is trying to communicate to the church. The way that he writes is so simple, in fact, that uh, when you go to seminary and you learn how to read Greek, this is usually one of the first books of the Bible that you'll translate and interpret because John uses such, such simple language and grammar to communicate uh, such practical truths to the church. And as practical as John writes... It is so filled with his affection for the beloved community. Remember, John uh, was Jesus' cousin. Uh, He was probably one of his best friends, if not his best friend. Uh, The Bible oftentimes calls John the one whom Jesus loved. So he was close to Christ. Uh, He loved Jesus dearly, and he also loved the church. 
And I believe that this is toward the end of John's life, as he's an older man now, well along in years, probably before he dies or he's exiled to Mount Patmos, that he writes this affectionate um, sermon to the church. And I know that he's older because he keeps referring to the church as dear children, as young men, as, as fathers. He has sort of this wisdom and this spiritual authority over them. And he writes very simple and very plain and very clear. And I think what he writes to us today is two simple truths, and I'll call them two tests, two ways to know whether or not you are a true disciple or a true Christian, two ways to know whether or not you have salvation. And this is important for all of us because there are times, I'm sure it happens to me, and I'm sure it happens to many of you, where you may be unclear about your standing and your position with God. Am I really a Christian? If I'm a Christian, why do I keep living this way? Why do I keep committing the same sins over and over? Or maybe you've heard that it, uh, maybe you've heard or, or been told, preach the gospel to yourself every day. As if if you forget to preach the gospel to yourself, you'll forget what it means and you won't be living it out. And, and that might scare you. It might uh, uh, maybe uh, plant seeds of doubt in your heart. Maybe I don't get this thing. Maybe I don't get God or I don't get church or I don't get the gospel. I've been here all my life and, and now I'm unsure. Or maybe somebody that you respect and you look up to spiritually disappoints you. Maybe they let you down. And all you've ever believed about the church, all that you've ever believed about the Bible, all that you've ever believed about God now is compromised. It's crumbling apart because somebody that you looked up to spiritually has let you down. And it's in those times we need to understand the doctrine of the assurance of salvation more than ever. That we are God's beloved. That he has called us. That he has chosen us to be recipients of his love. It's in those times when we are questioning our own character and our own heart that we need to turn back to 1 John and remember his words of assurance to us. And so he gives us two tests, two ways we can find out whether or not, even in seasons of doubt and uncertainty and anxiety, we can know for sure, with certainty, whether we are the recipients of God's love and his promises. And he starts off by saying this in verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. That's a pretty definitive statement there. John is saying, we know that we know him. John is saying, we know that we know God. Imagine going to work tomorrow or going to class or school or wherever you are tomorrow and telling people, I know that I know God. A very certain definitive statement. What kinds of responses and reactions would you get from your peers? You know you know what? Who do you think you are? Either people are going to look down at you and say, oh, you're just another one of those uh, bigoted Christians. Uh, or, or they'll say, hey, you know, keep that to yourself. You think you know what you, what you believe, and that's fine, and that's good for you, but I believe something else. But John comes out with a very definitive statement. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. And this is the first test. You know you know God if you do what he says. You know you know God if you walk like Jesus walked. You know you know God if you love to obey his commands. 
And that word know that occurs twice here in verse 3 occurs two other times in verse 4 and verse 5. Uh, I know him, uh, and uh, if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. John uses two different verbs for the word to know 40 times in five chapters. And remember, John is writing this to a church that is experiencing some false teaching. There's a lot of heresy that's being promoted. And it's from a group of people called the Gnostics, the people who have wisdom. And so John is combating their wisdom and is saying, well, they think they know what they're talking about and they're making up these half-truths. But this is how we know we know God. And John says we know him if we obey his commandments. And then he says, the man who says, I know God, but does not do what God commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So not only is he a liar, but John wants us to really get the point, the truth is not even in him. And then John says, if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. In other words, what John is saying is, knowing God, loving God, being a disciple of Jesus, is not just a feeling. It's an action. It's a way of life. He says, if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. You see, oftentimes we uh, doubt our position with God because we don't feel close to him. Or we don't pray as much as we should or at all. Or we don't read the Bible as much as we should or at all because we don't feel like praying or we don't feel like reading the Bible. And we base so much of our spirituality on our feelings when at best our feelings are fickle and they're wishy-washy, they're lukewarm. There are days when we feel like following Jesus and we feel like changing the world in Jesus' name and so we go out to do it and then there are days when we don't feel like doing anything for God. And if we base our discipleship on our feelings, we will never know for sure if we are in his love because then we won't obey him. What John is saying is obey him. Do what it means to live the Jesus way. And then God's love will be made complete. Oftentimes, emotions and feelings follow our actions. If you feel like doing something nice for people, you'll never do anything nice. It's when you do nice things for people, then you start feeling nice and people start telling you that you're nice. I experience this in my marriage all the time. I don't always feel in love with my wife. I don't feel like doing loving things for her all the time. And if I only did loving things when I felt like being a loving husband, I would be a really, really bad husband. But oftentimes, I have to commit to doing loving things. I have to commit to serving. I have to commit to putting her first and before me and showing her how much I love her. Then my love, my feeling of love love is then made complete. And that's oftentimes the way that it works in our spiritual lives. We don't feel like following God or we don't feel like God loves us because we aren't obeying. And John is saying the first test to know whether or not you have salvation is whether or not you obey. It's a character test. Search your heart. Are you living according to the scriptures? And the problem with the church today is we think that obedience is overrated. 
we proclaim the gospel and we live by grace. And so we know we're loved by God and Jesus died for us. Therefore, we don't have to obey. We can do whatever we want because at the end of the day, God loves us the way that we are. I know Jesus loves me. I know he died on the cross for me. So I can still allow all these gray areas in my life to take over. I can still be a cheater and a liar. I can be immoral. I can be profane with my language. I can treat other people like trash. I can be deceptive. I can have these addictive behaviors. I can be abusive to others. But it's okay because God loves me. Who are you when no one's looking? Jesus is always aware of what you're doing. And your obedience will reveal whether or not you are a true son or daughter of God. This is the first test. If you're feeling distant, ask yourself, am I living like a disciple of Jesus? Do I reflect him in my actions and in my lifestyle? Um, 30 some odd years ago, it's like maybe 30 or 29 or 30, somewhere like 30 years ago, before some of you were born, some of you, I know some of you here are older than that, but um, I remember uh, it was a Sunday after church, my parents took me out to watch a movie called The Karate Kid. It's the original Karate Kid with Ralph Macchio. He was a heartthrob, a teen heartthrob. And uh, I remember my dad took me, and, and at the time, I was a yellow belt. I was uh, learning Taekwondo, and my uncle and my father were my teachers. They were my instructors. They started this uh, uh, Taekwondo studio, and, and I would go three times a week, and, and they would teach me. It's just like Kung Fu Theater. You know, my uncle was my master, right? And uh, my parents took me out to watch this movie. And uh, the movie, uh, if you've seen the modern remake or if you've seen the old uh, trilogy, or I think it's maybe even more than that, a series of Karate Kid films. It's about a boy named Daniel LaRusso who gets bullied around by kids in his high school. Uh, And these are uh, kids who also are uh, 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 karate students, and they push him around, they beat him up, they bully him, and they make life pretty tough on him. And so he commits to teaching himself self-defense. But how can you teach yourself self-defense? Somebody else has to teach you. So he meets this man, this wise man, named Mr. Miyagi, played by Pat Morita. And, uh, you know, he sees Pat Morita one night come and defend him and rescue him and beat up all these guys. And he's this old man, and he uses these kung fu karate techniques, and he beats everybody up. And so Daniel, you know, uh, looks up to him and and wants to learn from him as a master. And uh, so uh, Mr. Miyagi agrees to teach Daniel, Daniel Daniel-san, karate. And on his first day, Daniel comes to meet... Uh, Mr. Miyagi and learn karate and Mr. Miyagi puts his headband around his head and makes him look like he's going to be a karate student. And uh, the first lesson is a bucket of water and a sponge filled with soap. And he says, what do you want me to do with this? I want you to wash the cars. But I thought we were going to learn karate. And then Mr. Miyagi goes, ta If you remember the movie, some of you have seen it. ta 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 right? Wash the cars and then wax the cars. What does this have to do with karate? Ata-ta-ta-ta-ta. Wash the cars and wax the cars. And that's where we get the famous line, wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyagi teaches Daniel-san how to put the wax on the car with his right hand and how to wax it off with his left hand. So he washes like 20 cars. The next day he comes for a second lesson. And uh, he's all tired and drained out. And then Mr. Miyagi says, paint the fence. Paint the fence. I thought I was going to learn karate. Ha-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. Just do. Just do. So he paints the fence. At first he's just doing this and he goes, ta 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 Daniel San, Daniel San. Paint the fence, paint the fence, paint the fence. So he's like painting the fence like this, like this. 
The next day he comes to his karate lesson. He's, he, okay, okay, I did all this hard work. Maybe this is my, how I'm paying Mr. Miyagi for karate lessons. Now he says, sand the wood, sand the wood, sand the wood. He's got to sand all this wood. He's got to wash the car, wax the car, paint the fence, sand the wood. He's doing all this meaningless chores. And then one day Daniel's son gets fed up. He says, what's the point of this? Why do I have to do all, this, all these chores for you? I thought I was going to learn karate. And then Mr. Miyagi, this is a classic scene, starts throwing punches and kicks at Daniel's son. And he starts blocking them, wax on, wax off, paint the fence. He, all of a sudden, this muscle memory that Mr. Miyagi has been teaching Daniel's son is now used to defend this barrage of attacks that Mr. Miyagi is now landing on him. All along, Mr. Miyagi was teaching Daniel's son muscle memory for karate. And he was teaching him discipline. He was teaching him obedience. But he says, if you do this enough times, you will naturally begin to do it. You have to train yourself. You have to learn. You have to learn to obey. And my question is this. Who are you when no one is looking? What is your character like? Are you someone who only follows God when other people are watching? Or do you follow the teachings of Jesus even when no one will ever pay attention or give you a prize for it? A lot of polls indicate these days that Christians and non-Christians are indistinguishable based on their behavior. Non-Christians are just as likely to be moral, upstanding citizens, to be good neighbors, uh, to pay their taxes, to have model marriages, to raise healthy children, to add value to their neighborhoods, to be hardworking in their jobs and their careers. There is nothing that distinguishes them from Christians because Christians may or even may not do all the same things. But what does Jesus call us to do? He says, when you're slapped on the right cheek, turn the left. When somebody steals your shirt, give them your cloak. If somebody forces you to take a mile with them, give them two. If someone hates you, love them in return. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and forgive those who persecute you. And that's the next lesson that John teaches us. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. And John calls this an old teaching, but a new teaching. Because this goes all the way back to the law. The law in the Old Testament, where the greatest command was to love God, and the second greatest command was to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But the church was forgetting what it meant to be in unity and harmony together, to understand what it meant to experience love as a community. Because now, this church is under attack. And there are all these different ways and opinions of what it means to be a church and to be a true follower. So people now are gossiping, they're forming cliques and circles, politics is taking its toll on this church, people are spreading rumors, and people aren't loving each other the way that Jesus taught them to love. John says anyone who claims to be in the light, anyone who calls himself a Christian, anyone who claims to be a disciple, but hates his brother or sister, his fellow Christian, is still in the darkness. John says, whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness 
He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. This is the second test. The first test is, do you obey? What's in your heart? What does your character reflect? Who are you when no one's looking? The second test is, do you love other people? Let me ask you this. Are there people in this church or in your small group or in your fellowship or maybe people that you know that go to other churches that you can't stand, that you downright hate? When they come over to your social event, you turn sour. You don't want to be there anymore. You don't want to go there if she's there. You don't want to be there if he's there or if he shows up. Are there people you despise? Are there people who annoy you so much you wish they would just stop coming to your church or to your social gatherings? And do you treat them that way? Do you treat them with contempt? Do you give them the cold shoulder? Do you always conveniently leave them out when you're inviting people over to social gatherings and events? If this is you, you are failing the second test. But I would take it even further. The people who have betrayed you, the people who have sinned against you, the people who have stabbed you in the back, have you sought to reconcile with them? Have you forgiven them? Have you called them up and said, hey, can we get together? Because, you know, I think there might have been a misunderstanding, but even if there wasn't, I want you to know that it's okay. We might be different. We might have our differences, but I'm okay with that. Let's agree to disagree. But you're still my brother in Jesus Christ. You're still my sister in the Lord. And I'm not going to hold this against you. In fact, I want to serve you. How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? How can I come alongside you and help you become a better disciple instead of ignore you and pretend like you don't exist? If that is you, you are not in the light. And this is, there's nothing magical or mysterious about this. If you blink, you'll miss what John is saying. He's saying you have to love one another. And that's everybody in the church. He's using this in the context of the community of faith. Your brothers and your sisters in the Lord. And he's saying if you aren't loving each other, you aren't experiencing and receiving the full benefits of what it means to be a child of God. Let me ask you this today. Who is it that's hurt you so bad that you've that you hate them, that you've said out loud, I hate this person. I can't stand this guy or this girl. She annoys me like crazy. Today, I'm asking you to pray for that person. This is what sets us apart, according to the polls from non-Christians. You see, anybody can love somebody that loves them. Anybody can serve somebody that will serve them. Anybody can agree with somebody that's just going to agree with them. But can you love people who aren't going to reciprocate your love? Can you serve people who are going to take you for granted? Can you forgive people who probably won't forgive you back? Because this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of the gospel. This is how you know you know you're saved. If you love others. You'll never be standing on solid ground if all you do is look down your nose at other people and judge them and accuse them and talk behind their backs. 
We have to be a community that is so in love with one another that we are a magnet to all the unlovable people in the world. People will come to church and they'll say, oh my gosh, no one has ever loved me this way. No one has ever accepted me this way. And that's at the risk of these people abusing your love and our love. What if they don't love us back? What if they don't get it? It's not about them loving us back or them getting it. Jesus goes so far as to say, love your enemies, the people who will hate you in return. And that is the test, to know if you know God, do you love others? Have you sought out reconciliation with those who have offended you, those who have disgraced you and embarrassed you? Do you pray for those who annoy you Don't just pray for those who need you and will pray for you you in return. Do you pray for those people in the church that just drive you mad, that make you want to pull your hair out? John, at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, is calling the church to to a simple way. Don't get so caught up in, in the Gnostics' teaching. In the, in the latest fads or the trends or the, uh, the latest gimmicks of the day. He's saying, return to the old commandment of loving God and loving each other. Obey his commands. Do what he says and love one another. At this time, we're going to uh, come to the table and we're going to take communion. We do this every month. And communion is an opportunity for us to remember God's love for us, what he's done for us through Jesus Christ, his son. Um, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And then that night he took the cup and he poured wine into it and he passed it around the room and he said, this is my blood. This is the cup of the new covenant. Take and drink. And so we come to the table today, 2,000 years later, to take of this bread and to drink of this juice to remember what Jesus has done for us. This is an act of obedience for us. Jesus commanded us to do this. But Jesus also said in Matthew 5, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that a brother has something against you, leave your gift there in the front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. And I'd like to say the same thing to you today. Before you come today to take part in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, before you just habitually get up out of your seat and you come to the front and you take part in this uh, ritual of what it means to be one with Christ, ask yourself honestly, is there someone I need to forgive? Is there someone I need to bless? Is there someone I need to reconcile with? And I'm not saying you can't take communion today until you go out today and you go reconcile. I'm saying today, right now, make that commitment, that promise to God. Say, God, help me to love this person who has so hurt me that in this coming week, I can reach out to him or her and make all of the things that have gone wrong in our relationship right. Help me, God, to be committed to this relationship in such a way that your light can shine in our fellowship as we defeat the evil one who tries to separate us. Who is it that you need to forgive? Or who is it 
whose forgiveness you need to seek. Because maybe you're the offender. Ask God to give you the wisdom and shine the light in your own heart to see where you have gone wrong, where you have betrayed someone's trust, where you have manipulated someone or you've abused uh, them in your relationship. And you need to go to them and say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please show me grace. Help me to serve you and to love you and to make this up to you. We're not in elementary school anymore, people. It's not about coming here and holding grudges and having rivalries and hanging out in our own little social cliques because we can't get along with each other. Hopefully you grew up out of that when you went to middle school or high school or college or whenever, but hopefully by now you've grown up, not just socially and emotionally, but now spiritually. That we can go and love those who are hard to love. Before you come to the table, and as I prepare the elements with uh, our ministry staff, I want to ask you now to reflect deep in your heart and ask God to grant you the ability to forgive or to be forgiven. So would you bow your heads now and, and pray that prayer as I invite the ministry staff up to the front so we can prepare the elements. Let's bow our heads again in prayer. Father, as John has so affectionately written to the church, may we, as your disciples, as your church, obey you and love one another. And as simply as you've stated it, Lord, we admit that it's so hard in our hearts to love people we despise. It's so hard to forgive people who have hurt us and offended us. God, we admit it's not easy to get along with others. But Lord, as John has so simply said, this is how we know we are saved. This is how we know we know you. It's by living out the truth of your word and loving others. And so Father, enable us today as we've now just taken a part of this communion and as we continue to fellowship and and worship together today in this afternoon. Lord, help us to understand what it means to be a beloved community, to be loved by you, to be known by you, and for the world to know you by the way we love one another. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.